Good morning, Connecticut, and to our friends across the sound. It's John Voquette, Director of Public Affairs for Connoisseur Media. Thanks for tuning into our award-winning public affairs program for the people, bringing you even more information to help address concerns in our communities tied to youth, the economy, public health and safety, aging, education, and the environment. We're going to open today with Connecticut Office of Policy and Management Secretary Ben Barnes talking about a brand-new statewide website that helps residents and state employees fight fraud, waste, and abuse that costs tens of millions of dollars each year. Check it out yourself. It's fightfraud.ct.gov. Then we'll continue our focus on the opioid epidemic sweeping Connecticut with MCCA, one of the state's leading providers of addiction recovery services, not only for individuals addicted to opioids or heroin, but also folks dealing with codependence or addictions to nicotine and gambling. Then we'll wrap welcoming Alexion Pharmaceuticals back to New Haven, promoting a first-of-its-kind partnership with the Community Foundation for Greater New Haven. Those two partners just launched Here in New Haven, a charitable giving initiative providing microgrants to 30 local nonprofit organizations before the end of February. We'll even talk to one of those organizations. We'll be back with those segments and more on the award-winning For the People with me, John Voquette, right after this news. Yes, I can hear them now. The sounds of the Coastal Chordsman Quartets. They'll be serenading, singing valentines to loved ones from Friday, February 12th to Sunday, February February 14th in Fairfield and New Haven counties. You can hire four tuxedo-clad gentlemen to sing a song and present a card, a chocolate lollipop, and a rose to somebody you care about, or upgrade to a dozen roses and a $25 gift card from restaurant.com. All proceeds help support student scholarships and charitable organizations. If you'd like to order your Coastal Chordsman singing Valentine, call 203-816-0462 for the Coast Cordsman. It's been a while since we talked to uh, Ben Barnes. He is Secretary of Connecticut's Office of Policy and Management, OPM. And uh, for the most part, when we see uh, Ben uh, talking uh, in the media, uh, he's talking about uh, financial issues and, and budgetary issues in Connecticut. And it's always great to uh, share some uh, additional good news. We learned uh, just a few days ago that the state of Connecticut has launched a website to help in efforts at fighting fraud, waste, and abuse that cost state programs and you taxpayers tens of millions of dollars each year. So Ben, uh, welcome to the program and uh, thanks for taking a few minutes to talk to the folks across the state about this important new project. Tell us a little bit about uh, the ramp up to launching fightfraud.ct.gov. Uh, well, thank you very much for having me on. This is a, a, an important subject and one that uh, I, I'm uh, very appreciative of you for uh, covering. We uh, have a significant amount of, of money that we spend every year on health care in particular uh, through the Medicaid program, but also through our state employee and retiree health care programs. Uh, we uh, ensure uh, we're the payer essentially for uh, over a million Connecticut residents or or state employee state retirees who live out of state uh, and and with that comes an extraordinary number of individual claims uh, that are that are paid out and while the vast majority of those are appropriate claims uh, high quality medical services by by appropriate providers and, and the claims are are fine there are there are always or have have always been and we're trying to re- reduce this uh, some number of claims that are fraudulent where people uh, don't follow the rules for how to uh, you know 
what kind of claims they should be filing for. The the claims are uh, don't reflect the services that were provided. Uh, the services were not appropriate. They made up out of whole cloth in some cases, and we need to uh, we need to have an active ongoing program to root those out. Uh, this website is only one of a of one part of a large multi-agency effort to reduce fraud in our, uh, particularly in our medical assistance programs. Well, tell us about your, uh, which agencies you're partnering with. Well, uh, this, the, we've had, uh, the Department of Social Services, which is the agency that runs our Medicaid program, has for a long time uh, maintained a program integrity unit that does uh, audits of providers uh, and identifies fraud based on a whole series of different uh, uh, approaches. They, uh, they get tips from the public. They uh, analyze trends and um, in, in utilization. They look at uh, uh, all the data that, that comes over the transom in the form of claims that are filed by providers, et cetera, and they try to identify uh, fraudsters, uh, and they uh, pursue those through audits and, in some cases, through referral to law enforcement. Uh, however, a few years ago, the legislature said they wanted us to redouble our efforts in order to uh, find some budgetary savings. We would rather cut money out of fraud uh, than cutting it out of other areas areas in the More government. Program, sure. So while their target was maybe a little steeper in, in the short run uh, than, uh, than we would have liked, just because, you, you know, it's always hard to predict how much money you'll save by fighting fraud, uh, we took the effort very seriously. We built a, a group uh, with, uh, under OPM's leadership involving DSS, uh, other human service agencies, uh, the Attorney General's office, uh, the uh, state's attorney, uh, and and others, uh, we added uh, some expansions to what we call the um, uh, uh, to our ability to uh, 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 to uh, under what's called the False Claims Act for mm-hmm. us to uh, receive civil uh, settlements uh, in the event of people who've uh, lied in their uh, uh, met claims for uh, reimbursement to the Connecticut medical assistance programs. Uh, and that effort has, uh, I think, really begun to pay off. Uh, we've developed more uh, technology-intensive ways to develop leads, so we're better able to comb through the mountains of data to identify patterns which might suggest fraud. We've been uh, working with uh, national organizations very closely to identify sort of cutting edge and in tr- fraud. I mean, this is a like any industry. People who who want to uh, defraud state governments, uh, medical assistance programs, uh, uh, you know, they they develop uh, new approaches and uh, they learn from one another about those approaches. Uh, individuals involved in fraud uh, go from one state to another and and uh, uh, execute uh, schemes that have been successful in one place and another. Mm. And we're, we're we're doing everything we can to identify those trends and so, support so, them. Well, let me let me stop you on that point, uh, uh, Mr. Barnes. The so the, this seems like uh, these these transient operators are kind of uh, insulated, like a kind of like a, a, a closed shop effect. So um, by by utilizing fightfraud.ct.gov. How would an individual uh, outside of the scheme uh, or beyond the direct perpetrators of the fraud, how would they know or even suspect that something might be wrong to be able to then tip off uh, Connecticut officials to go after it? 
Well, I mean, I, I think that there are a lot of ways that you might. I mean, we all know what a, a, a regular, I mean, if a, if a local provider that you do business with appears to be uh, engaging in, in a practice that doesn't make any sense to you uh, and might be rep- reflective of fraud, uh, I would encourage you to report it. Mm. Without- I mean, if there's someone out there who, uh, you know, if you go into a store and you see that they are, um, uh, you know, taking a, 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 a snap card or a food stamp card and, and giving cash back to the ah, to the um, to the person who's presenting it, that may well be fraud. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you're not supposed to do that. If there are people who are, um, you know, treating uh, uh, patients who uh, in, at a at a medical practice that you're at uh, and 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 the treatments take no time at all and and appear to be executed on healthy people uh, who are lining up in the waiting room uh, you know you if you think it's fraud we would like to know about it and we'd like to take a look oh and with that you bring up an important point because uh, anyone who makes a tip uh, doesn't automatically launch uh, an assumption of guilt it simply launches uh, the the vetting of that accusation uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we in, we investigate lots and lots of things, uh, and so um, uh, if we can identify, if we you know we we hold ourselves to very strict standards for uh, for um, identifying uh, overpayments or fraud, uh, and we certainly would take take that that responsibility very very seriously. Um, but we. Uh, uh, but we need we need we need evidence to do that. I mean, for instance, some of the some of the cases that have happened have been uh, uh, that have been reported on and complete and concluded involved providing unnecessary services, unnecessary claims. So. Um, if if a if a physician or a or a or a provider is uh, appears to be billing uh, uh, insurance or, or appears to be asking you to sign off on on claims that are uh, beyond the level of the services that you provided, uh, we'd like to know about that okay. because that may be an indication. I mean, I understand it's complicated. Mm. Sometimes many of us, myself included, may not understand every aspect of the medical procedure claiming process, but um, to the extent that we see uh, we see something going on that we don't understand, I, I would rather have our investigators look into it and uh, make sure it's on the up and up. Yeah, and I, ha- and I have to believe a lot of times people feel in their gut or instinctively that something just seems wrong, and it, there's, there's nothing wrong with making that suspicion or concern, um, uh, you know, bringing that to the attention of, of your office uh, through the fightfraud.com ct.gov a new web website and you also have a lot of situations i guess where uh, people who may be receiving services or uh, or for whatever other reason uh, they may be wary uh, of some sort of uh, retribution or that they'll end up having to come back around and be sitting uh, you know in court pointing a finger at somebody saying yes i saw him or her do that um what uh, what wherewithal does this uh, site provide uh, for uh, uh, anonymous tips, or or perhaps maybe we should come at this by uh, talking about the experience that somebody has when they click on fightfraud.ct.gov. Well, uh, there are all the, our, um, our website allows for a whole variety of, of fraud to be reported. We connect to the national fightstopfraud.gov website where you can report, um, you know, all kinds of frauds, uh, whether it's a mortgage fraud or, um, 
uh, student loan fraud or uh, uh, identity theft or cyber crimes. I mean, there are a whole series of, of links that you can make to uh, appropriate federal agencies. In addition, we have uh, within, uh, within the state system, uh, we would allow you to report uh, uh, um, uh, health care fraud, uh, workers' compensation fraud, um, fraudulent, uh, uh, you know, use of state services and, and some of the major uh, human service programs. Uh, there are connections to uh, the tax department and others if you uh, want to uh, uh, report fraud. Uh, I mean, as to whether or not it would... Um, you know, the ability to remain anonymous is is certainly something that I'm, I'm sure we would uh, attempt to respect. Although mm-hmm. uh, there are a great number of laws related to that, we sure. we may in fact need to uh, uh, to uh, follow up on on, an, on right. an allegation. But we certainly would welcome any uh, any kind of tip that people want to provide us, and we'll sort through it and try to get to the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. I also see that uh, an important part of the website provides ways for the public to report uh, suspicious. Expected uh, aspects of unfair competition. W- w- could you explain that? Um, uh, unfair competition uh, is um, uh, covers a series of things that might um, conder- come under the uh, uh, auspices of our Department of Consumer Protection. Mm-hmm. So uh, that would involve. Um, uh, you know things like price gouging or uh, misleading uh, advertising that someone is doing. Oh, I see. So um, there's or a, there's... sort of unfair trade practices that are done at the. Uh, you know, if a, if a store uh, advertises something for sale and then doesn't have that available, or is otherwise uh, engaging in some kind of uh, uh, unfair. Uh, practice in the marketplace, and then our Department of Consumer Protection uh, would investigate that. I understand. Uh, so this all came uh, from the uh, Governor Malloy's uh, Interagency Fraud Task Force in 2013, and you did talk a little bit about the challenge to try to quantify uh, how much the effort is worth it in terms of uh, the dollars uh, saved in uh, mitigating or uh, or stemming these fraudulent practices. So uh, tell us a little bit about the, the numbers that you've been able to rack up just since November 2013. Yeah, well, since then, we've, we've, uh, uh, we, have, uh, we can quantify tens of millions of dollars in savings uh, that we, uh, that where we have uh, identified particular bills that we don't have to pay because they're fraudulent. We've recaptured money that we've uh, recouped money that we've paid out and what we later discovered to have been uh, fraudulent circumstances. Uh, uh, however, it's what's the hardest part to, to, to look at is if, say, there's a medical provider uh, who is uh, uh, billing for services that haven't been performed, and we catch them based on, uh, you know, activity over a several month period, and that's worth, uh, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. That may seem like a real, you know, we've, we've stopped tens of thousands of dollars. We've saved that money, uh, by not paying for those claims. Uh, but if that, uh, provider was, without our efforts, going to go continuing to bill for, for those services into the future, 
uh, we may well have saved many times more than the nominal amount that we identified in our investigation by shutting somebody down. Yeah. So uh, program integrity has enormous uh, impact on the, the long-term costs of running a program if, uh, if everyone who's involved uh, knows that they cannot um, they cannot uh, undertake organized exploitation or organized uh, fraudulent claiming or anything like that without being caught, uh, then we uh, we can limit our expenses to those that are necessary, uh, and the, the savings there are quite considerable. So, I, you know, I, it's very hard for me to say, uh, you know, we've considered trying to be more uh, aggressive about how we quantify the savings uh, when we've uh, uncovered and, and disrupted a fraud uh, but we we've we've tried to stick only to those numbers that are uh, that are easily uh, demonstrable based on the you know the recoveries or the the claims at issue uh, but again i think the savings are are much greater than that and frankly this is other people's money we're talking about right, this right. is public funds and uh, integrity is, is terribly important so my it's money. worth investigating frauds even if uh, if it costs us a few thousand dollars to uncover uh, a relatively small fraud that may not have had huge financial consequences but but undermines public integrity uh, and undermines uh, confidence in that the taxpayers have in, right, in right. their government services, and also from a from a person's perspective, if they if they suspect or even if they know there's some fraud going on, and um, but to them they're thinking, oh, you know, it's just a few dollars or it's just twenty or thirty dollars every month or every visit or whatever, uh, and then they hear about this fightfraud.ct.gov website, maybe they'll be inclined to go there if they start to begin doing the math and saying, wait a minute, if this is involving a some sort of a provider, uh, and when I go in the waiting room, there's always 30 people uh, in front of me and 30 people behind me. Then you start adding up that few dollars or that 20 or that $50, and uh, and, and boom. I mean, this is these, these are my tax dollars. These are your tax dollars, right? No, I, it's absolutely true. I mean, and and, uh, and and there's no question that we, we are able to eliminate tens of millions of dollars of expenses every year. Tens of millions of dollars, uh, you know, I, Maybe it, it, it varies. It's hard to exactly quantify what that number is, but those are those are sums that are enormously consequential to our uh, our ability to provide all the services we want. I mean, I hear uh, uh, criticisms all the time from uh, people about one budget cut or another, or one area of expansion or another that uh, that people are advocating for, uh, which is which is smaller than that. Having those resources available to provide more services for uh, people with developmental disabilities or to expand mental health services or to, uh, you know, reduce taxes. All those are, are, are much better uses of money uh, than paying for the, uh, the, the hidden costs of fraud. Right. Kind of uh, capitalizing on the uh, on the established idea of see something, say something. Uh, the state of Connecticut has launched a website to help efforts at fighting fraud, waste, and abuse that cost state programs tens of millions of dollars each year to date. Tens of millions of dollars uh, already uh, already saved for taxpayers, uh, and all it takes is to go to fightfraud.ct.gov. Our guest today, Ben Barnes, Secretary of the uh, Connecticut Office of Policy and Management cluing us in on uh, the work that they're doing and the importance of uh, if you even have a suspicion uh, that somebody might be defrauding uh, the state of Connecticut and you and I as taxpayers, uh, go to fightfraud.cd.gov. Ben Barnes, great to speak with you on this important matter. Uh, Happy New Year, and we'll talk to you again soon.
It's been a while since we uh, checked in with MCCA, the Midwestern Connecticut Council of Alcoholism. And I I have to say, over the past year or so, the amount of information and reporting on the opioid epidemic that's gripping the nation and and is costing lives every day here in Connecticut um, has been pretty widespread, but a lot of the reporting is kind of uh, dealing with the numbers and just coming to grips with the sheer volume of uh, of addictions and deaths that opioids are causing here, uh, particularly in Connecticut. Uh, Our program is endeavoring to start drilling in a little bit deeper on this, uh, as we really always have for the past two and a half decades that that I've been working on for the people. Uh, It's been an issue that's been a constant uh, in terms of the way it's affecting the communities that our radio stations serve. Uh, And we're pleased to have a long-standing partnership with MCCA. They're one of the largest providers of substance abuse treatment in Connecticut, and they've been actively involved with uh, a number of uh, uh, prevention councils and other uh, community-centric providers prevention and uh, addiction organizations and addiction response organizations. I'm pleased to welcome uh, to the program this morning uh, our good friend Joe Sullivan. He's he's CEO of MCCA. And uh, we're going to talk about a number of really exciting things going on at the agency. Uh, Joe, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Oh, uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, just orient folks that are maybe listening elsewhere uh, on our stations throughout the state um, and beyond my introduction. Just tell us a little bit about the agency and the jurisdiction uh, that you serve. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, uh, you do draw uh, clients from across the state, right? Oh, we do. Yeah. I mean, we have uh, uh, four actual residential treatment uh, programs. We have a uh, uh, detoxification uh, residential or inpatient detox uh, program. Uh, We have short-term residential treatment. Uh, We have a long-term residential treatment uh, 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 for men and another one for women. And and those all draw from a uh, uh, really on a statewide basis. And then we have seven outpatient clinics in, uh, you know, uh, Danbury, New Milford, Torrington, uh, Waterbury, Derby, and New Haven, and Richfield also. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so it's pretty uh, broad-based and uh, very, very comprehensive in, uh, uh, in, in all of these uh, uh, places. We do not just uh, treatment for people with substance use disorders, but we're uh, rolling out uh, uh, nicotine addiction services and integrating that within the uh, uh, the context of the substance abuse and also problem gambling. Uh, we're we're focused in on that. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's key in on those couple of things uh, after just uh, responding to uh, just one more question. Um, <laughs> in terms of the age range of the folks that you serve, do you? Uh, kind of, uh, do you go as as young as clients present, or do you have sort of a, um, uh, you know, do you deal with uh, mostly adults? Uh, no, we we have some uh, uh, kids programs. We have actually a therapeutic group home. It's small, but uh, uh, for girls, that's, uh, um, you know, kids there are 14, 15, 16, and then, uh, um, and we have a seniors program, so we serve people in their 80s. So it's, uh, you know, basically life, uh, lifespan uh, right. services. Most of our services, having said that, 
our uh, our towards uh, young adults to uh, middle aged and uh, and a little bit above. Mm. Uh, so before we get into talking about uh, MCCA and how it's responding to the heroin and opioid epidemic. Uh, here in Connecticut. Uh, let's key in on a couple of those other uh, addictions that uh, are sometimes uh, companions to uh, to drug addiction or, or, or that stand on their own, perhaps in some cases in place of a drug addiction. Uh, I guess uh, in, in terms of the biology, the uh, addiction thing sort of works uh, on the same area of the brain, whether it's heroin, cocaine, gambling, nicotine. Uh, tell us a little bit about the gambling component of your work. Well, we uh, um, one of the things we're, we're focusing on is that people come in with uh, a substance use disorder, um, and then we find out that they also have a gambling addiction, and we, we kind of uh, do co-occurring treatment uh, right. at the same time. And uh, uh, probably half of the people we service with problem gambling come from our own uh, population of clients that we're already servicing. And then we get referrals also on a statewide basis from that come in. There's this uh, gambling hotline uh, that... Uh, uh, people call in seeking help, and we get referrals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, referral referrals there also. So, not to get too deep in the weeds, but is there a difference between simultaneously treating a codependent situation uh, versus someone who's either uh, presenting only with a gambling issue or presenting only with a, a drug issue? Is it twice as hard or well, three well, times I, as not hard? Not necessarily. I, well, we've also had experience where people come in with a gambling problem and, and find out that they have uh, uh, serious uh, 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 substance use disorders. Uh, I remember uh, a couple years ago, a guy came in for uh, into our residential program for a gambling problem, and uh, we determined, like his first day there, that he was addicted to heroin. Mm. Um, so we had to detox him from heroin. Uh, so um, it, it, it actually enhances services. Whatever somebody comes in for, uh, then we do a... We, we treat, try to treat the whole person, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and rather than zero in on uh, uh, one particular thing or another, we try to meet them where they are and give them the help that they need on whatever their... their uh, their issues are, you know. So where uh, are you uh, intaking or doing a gambling uh, treatment or uh, groups or any type of uh, uh, program like that throughout the uh, jurisdiction of all of your offices and satellites? Or uh, Not all of them. We're, we're doing uh, uh, Danbury. In our outfit, all of our residential uh, have the ability to do it, or our two... Uh, Two of our residential, the uh, Kent program and the, the short-term residential in Danbury, mm-hmm. but then uh, our uh, our Danbury, uh, Waterbury, New Milford, and Torrington uh, do the problem gambling services simply because that's what we've been contracted with by the state. I see. Uh, to provide. Very good. Folks, if you're oh. listening and you want to find out more about what MCCA is doing or how close they are to helping you or someone you know or love, mccaonline.com. mccaonline.com is their website uh, to go and learn more. Joe Sullivan is with us. He is CEO of MCCA, the Midwestern Connecticut Council of Alcoholism. Uh, so not to overshadow the 
chat we're going to have about some spectacular grants that were just delivered to MCCA, Joe, uh, but uh, they may have uh, overshadowed a little bit uh, some grants or a grant that you got for smoking cessation, uh, which you're really applying in a pretty innovative way. Yeah, that was from the Department of Public Health, um, and uh, it's a $400,000 grant for a two-year period, so uh, we're really, it's sizable, and uh, we're going to be able to do some really uh, significant stuff with that um, and, uh, you know, integrating it into in, into all of our uh, outpatient and residential treatment programs. Mm, that's great. So, uh, and... Also, the smoking cessation is a, it can be a standalone for folks that just want to kick the habit. Um, they're not uh, really presenting with an alcohol or drug addiction, except, oh, for, the, except for the nicotine. Right. It's available to the general public just uh, by, you know, calling and virtually walking in, getting a scheduled appointment and uh, getting started on smoking. Uh, and we have, part of it is nicotine replacement therapy, so we have various medications that uh, can be be useful in uh, in the treatment of nicotine addiction. So we combine both the medication assisted with the uh, psychosocial support mm. that needed. So, so in terms of the nicotine addiction uh, mitigation program or uh, treatment programs, do you work a lot in conjunction with uh, individuals, primary care physicians, or other uh, medical network support, or uh, do you find that a lot of the folks that you're getting for the nicotine program, particularly? Um, don't really uh, either are coming to you uninsured, underinsured, or they're not uh, coming on the uh, advice of their uh, their medical uh, phys- their primary physician. Yeah, mo- most of the people we service uh, are insured. Connecticut has a high rate, uh, you know, thanks to uh, Connecticut's uh, involvement with the Affordable Care Act and uh, everything in the. Uh, the uh, Connecticut has, I think it's 97% of people in Connecticut are insured, either with public or private insurance. So most of them have insurance. We don't, we don't uh, work as closely as we would like to with primary care physicians, and that's something that uh, is on our list of uh, priorities to, uh, to uh, work on over the next uh, couple of years. Okay. As part of our, our uh, strategic plan is to uh, enhance collaboration with primary care physicians and other primary health care uh, providers and I, and I'll talk about that in a little more when we get into the uh, the opiate uh, uh, and the heroin overdose Great. Uh, situation in Connecticut. Well, let's pick up on that right after the break, uh, folks. We are with uh, Joe Sullivan. He's CCO of the Midwestern Connecticut Council of Alcoholism. MCCA Online dot com is their website if you'd like to learn more about the agency perhaps uh, uh, consider making a donation to underwrite their programs get involved in some volunteer or professional capacity uh, or just find out how mcca might be able to help you or somebody that you love a coworker, employee uh, what have you uh, mcca online.com we're going to be back in just a minute stick with us and we'll talk about some exciting developments with mcca uh, specifically to combat heroin uh, and opioid epidemic that's gripping Connecticut. Do you love Connecticut? If you do, there are hundreds of nonprofit agencies, community groups, and grassroots causes that would love to have your support. You can learn about many of them through Love CT. Just go to our radio station website, hit the event guide tab, and click on to Love CT to help the many causes supported by Connoisseur Media. I'm Director of Public Affairs, John Voquette. We'll be back to the award-winning For the People right after this news.
School, di- school and district leaders have an important role in ensuring a safe environment that affirms and supports transgender students. So with that in mind, CERC of Middletown is presenting a talk for district and school leaders, school district attorneys, and board of education members entitled Schools in Transition, a guide to supporting transgender students in K-12 schools. That event is happening February 10th from 9 to 1030 a.m. If you'd like to learn more or make reservations, call 860 or click on ctserc.org. We're back. Thanks for sticking with us. We've got an important subject on the uh, platform today. Joe Sullivan is with us. Uh, He is the CEO of the Midwestern Connecticut Council of Alcoholism. MCCA is their uh, handle. MCCAonline.com is their website. We hope you'll uh, visit and check with them and learn more about them, see how you could help or see how MCCA can help you. Uh, Sadly, uh, between 2012 and 2014, the amount of uh, the number of heroin and opioid related deaths in Connecticut more than doubled to 325. And if I understand correctly from other guests that have been on our program recently uh, in 2015, it became more than one uh, opioid related death per day in Connecticut. Uh, Nationwide heroin related deaths nearly tripled between 2002 and 2013. Uh, So uh, in response to that, MCCA, which has been working really, really hard for many, many years uh, regarding uh, opioid addictions, uh, got some relief and an opportunity to really uh, take hold and make a difference. Uh, Joe, tell us about these exciting new grant opportunities that have recently come your way well, we, with the help of a couple of uh, actually three different foundations, um, we were able to add staff at our new Milford Clinic uh, in particular, um, and because we wanted to focus in there. Uh, I, I think last year, New Milford had four uh, heroin overdose deaths, and uh, um, you know, for a small town, that that's dramatic. So mm-hmm. we've been able to add uh, a, an just... additional counselor in our uh, New Milford office to focus. Uh, on increased utilization and engagement of people with uh, opiate uh, addictions. And uh, we're also um, in the process of recruiting what we call a uh, uh, recovery support specialist. One of the things, uh, what we find is uh, when people, there, there's this medication called Narcan, which is useful in resuscitating people or reviving people, whatever you want to say, who have had uh, a heroin or an opiate overdose. And, um, well, we, we know from our own experience that w- people um, have OD'd on heroin and had to be revived by uh, Narcan uh, three or four times. Mm-hmm. So we, we're trying to work more closely with the hospitals so that if somebody is uh, taken to the hospital by uh, uh, an ambulance or, or an administered Narcan by EMTs or a police officer, a lot of police officers are, are, uh, have, are equipped and carry Narcan kits with them. Um, but we want to have people, we want to be engaged with folks when they're revived. After they leave the emergency room, we want to be able to reach out with them and engage them in treatment. Uh, so we, we don't think, uh, we think it's a, a comment on our system of care if people OD on uh, and have to be revived three or four times on Narcan and haven't been engaged in treatment. Mm. Uh, so we want to 
work harder at that and collaborating with medical providers, uh, particularly hospital uh, ERs or emergency departments, on uh, on warm, quick handoffs, sure, uh, so that people people can be engaged rapidly. Yeah, uh, I, I guess it's 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 sort of disturbing to me to hear you say that, and I I never thought of it that way. That once somebody is essentially dead of a opioid overdose and revived through Narcan, that you'd think that they would not only run, not walk for permanent uh, treatment uh, or, or support. Uh, but that they that would be the final wake up call, quite literally, and they wouldn't go back to the drugs. But now I'm hearing from you that apparently, uh, you know, folks who can't kick or can't get the support they need, um, they're sort of relying on Narcan like uh, some folks with heart problems are, are relying on uh, nitroglycerin. It's just when it happens, uh, they get the Narcan hopefully in time and, and are revived uh, to get high again. Yeah, well, I don't think it's a conscious thing. I mean, part of it's a comment on the uh, a the addictive uh, uh, properties of yeah, heroin evil, and, yeah, and opiates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we do know that nationwide, uh, you know, that uh, something like seventy five percent of people who who get addicted to uh, to heroin start off on uh, on use of prescription. Yeah, legitimate prescriptions sometimes. Yeah, well, sometimes it's not legitimate for them. It's some um, mm. diverted from. You know, family medicine cabinets and yeah. everything, but but nevertheless, it's uh, you know there's an over a prescription of, of uh, opiate-based pain medicine these days, and uh, and some of it gets into uh, so, so-called recreational use, and mm-hmm. then it leads to heroin addiction because uh, the heroin's cheaper and easier to get than uh, and the per- prescription opiates. But I think the uh, um, anyway, I mean, there's a lot of uh, regulatory obstacles for achieving these warm uh, handoff, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, HIPAA confidentiality regulations sure. and stuff like that. But there's ways that we can collaborate uh, with, uh, you know, healthcare providers and, and emergency medical personnel and so forth mm. to better connect to care. And, and that's a focus that we have and we're working, uh, working hard on. Yeah. Well, to the credit yeah. of oh. to the credit of MCCA, you recently hosted uh, two training sessions uh, in the Greater Danbury area on the application uh, of Narcan in the in the emergency situation. Um, and uh, as we indicated, uh, three grants totaling twenty two thousand five hundred dollars coming to MCCA in the recent weeks uh, to help combat the growing need for opiate treatment. Uh, out of the New Milford Outpatient Clinic, the awards from United Savings Bank for $10,000, the Cowles Foundation for $2,500, and the Dirk Foundation for $10,000. A great, uh, you know, a, a great injection of capital into a system that probably has need for much, much more. Uh, Joe Sullivan, in the last couple minutes that we have with you, can you just let folks know first? Um, how they can come to MCCA if they need help or a loved one needs help, and then close with how MCCA might be able to use the assistance of folks um, in either a uh, underwriting or volunteer capacity. Yes, uh, the um, uh, first of all, to, to the best way to get access service at MCCA is get on our website, and uh, each of our outpatient clinics have walk-in days where you don't even need an appointment. You can just walk in uh, one day a week at every, uh, every, every one of our outpatient clinics. Uh, 
and uh, we'll see you uh, that day. We've we've staffed up on those walk-in days so that we can uh, accommodate. Uh, we uh, so that's one way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can schedule an appointment by just calling, uh, and we're doing a lot of online uh, communication now too, so they can access us in that way too. So I encourage people to get on our website and check us out, um, and then uh, the uh, uh, we always need, especially with the state. Uh, budget situation being what it is, and it's it, we don't expect it to get better anytime soon. Uh, we can always use uh, donations and and support, and every uh, no no donation is too small, uh, and uh, we appreciate that. And that can be used. I mentioned earlier that people have uh, almost everybody's insured, but a lot of people have high deductibles, and that's a real obstacle to to treatment. So. Uh, uh, sometimes we can uh, the high deductibles and high copay, so contributions can be used to offset that for us, and uh, and that would be greatly appreciated. But uh, and then volunteers, uh, you know, we can always use uh, volunteers just by uh, contact contacting us, uh, uh, shoot an email to me, or uh, comment online, and uh, we'll get back in touch with. Uh, Anybody, my email is jsullivan at mccaonline.com, and I would appreciate hearing anybody, hearing from anybody who would be, uh, think they could make their help available to us mm-hmm. as a volunteer. That's great. Well, well with our, our uh, award-winning For the People broadcasting uh, in Waterbury, in Torrington, in New Haven, in Western Connecticut, and up into the Hartford market, uh, we are everywhere. MCCA is MCCA, one of the largest providers of substance abuse treatment in Connecticut. Uh, they believe that alcoholism, drug addiction, problem gambling, and other co-occurring disorders are treatable and that those affected, including family members, can recover. MCCAonline.com is the website for the Midwestern Connecticut Council of Alcoholism. And Joe Sullivan has once again graced our airwaves uh, with his uh, knowledge and presence. He's CEO of MCA. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time. Best of luck, and we'll talk to you again uh, soon. Take care. Okay. Thank you so much. Well, uh, about once a season, we check in uh, with uh, Will Ginsburg at the Community Foundation for Greater New Haven, uh, and we we like to focus on uh, all kinds of foundations out there. We have the uh, uh, the foundation in the Naugatuck Valley. We've talked to foundations uh, elsewhere in Connecticut. If you happen to be affiliated with a foundation somewhere in Connecticut, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can always get in touch uh, with me through uh, one of our radio stations. Uh, just give us a call and uh, and we'll be in touch but today uh, we're going to focus on a great partnership uh, between the community foundation for greater new haven and alexion uh, will tell us a little bit about how this all came to be sure john uh, it's a pleasure to be with you uh, again as always um alexion is a global pharmaceutical company uh as your listeners may know that uh, started in new haven uh, almost 25 years ago as a startup uh, at Science Park, uh, moved to Cheshire, and is just is just moving back to New Haven into a uh, into a new global headquarters building uh, right next to the School of Medicine at Yale and right next to downtown in the old Route 34 corridor. It's a it's a spectacular thing for New Haven, uh, and I think one of the great economic 
development stories in the history of this city. Um, uh, and Alexion is, uh, has worked with the Community Foundation over the last several years. They've been supporters of our uh, Great Give uh, in each of the last several years. Um, and uh, we have other relationships with the company and its senior people. So, uh, so we were absolutely uh, thrilled when they uh, turned to us with an idea um, to uh, mark their uh, return to New Haven and the opening of their building with a charitable giving program. Uh, they, Alexion is uh, working with us, is going to make uh, 30 grants over 30 business days uh, between now and the end of February when they will formally cut the ribbon on their new building and uh, to selected nonprofits uh, throughout uh, this community, throughout New Haven, uh, covering the full range of different types of of charitable activity in our community. I think it's a it's a strong, powerful signal of Alexion's commitment to the community, not only as its location and, and in terms of its relationship to Yale and, and everything else it does here, and uh, but also in terms of its relationship to the nonprofit sector and all the important work that uh, that, that the local nonprofits do here to make life life better in New Haven. So we're we're thrilled to be working with Alexion. We're thrilled at this commitment. We're thrilled that they're a they're back in New Haven, and it's 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 a great thing in so many different ways. Excellent. Well, folks, you may want to follow along at home as these grants roll out. They can do that daily on GiveGreater.org's Facebook page and Twitter feed. Here in New Haven, grants is what they're being called. Right. Uh, so, so Will, uh, is this uh, a first of its kind? Uh, promotional partnership for uh, between the foundation and um, a commercial partner large or small I think I think uh, certainly we've worked with a lot of uh, companies in New Haven um, but most of our work is with individual donors uh, and we work with nonprofits we uh, on investment management etc so in in I think basically John yes it is I think to have a company that steps up and does a month-long uh, uh, set of uh, giving giving like this and uses the resources the community knowledge resources give greater dot org specifically which is a comprehensive database that the community foundation has created uh, with almost 300 with, with detailed profile information of almost 350 uh, nonprofit organizations uh, in Greater New Haven to use Give Greater as the source for making these choices and to use the Community Foundation as the vehicle to make these grants. Uh, this is a first, and uh, and it is uh, uh, as I said before, it's 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 great from our standpoint. It's exactly how we hope uh, how we hope uh, other organizations, be they for profits or nonprofits, and other institutions in our community, will use the. Uh, the information and the knowledge that uh, that we've we've put out on the web through givegreater.org. Well, you know better than anybody, uh, Will Ginsburg, that uh, the difference between zero and a thousand dollars can make a difference in the lives of dozens maybe even hundreds of people, depending on how it's applied. Um, we are going to be actually talking to a representative uh, of one of these uh, here in New Haven grants from Alexion um, in just a couple minutes at Columbus House. But as we uh, record this uh, the Thursday before broadcast, uh, we've we've already heard the announcement of the second here in New Haven Alexion uh, Community Foundation uh, grantees. Um, Will I understand it's uh, it's one of the uh, partnering uh, Hispanic support organizations that yes, it's, it's an arts organization actually that 
very active in the Latino community called Arte, A-R-T-E, Arte, Inc., um, which is a great organization, an organization that we've been privileged to know and support for a number of years, uh, and that has done so much to... Uh, to build and support uh, Latino cultural activities uh, in New Haven. So it's a great second choice, very different, of course, than Columbus House, which is also a great choice and one of the one of the linchpin organizations in our local nonprofit sector uh, serving uh, some of the most needy people in our community, the ho- homeless population. So, um, uh, and I think those two choices, we'll, we'll see 30 of them over the next month, but I think those two choices speak to the breadth of uh, Alexion's vision of what kind of organizations it wants to touch through through its uh, here in New Haven uh, initiative, and that initiative is is one of uh, so many uh, that are uh, celebrating the generosity of three generations of donors throughout the Greater New Haven region. The Community Foundation for Greater New Haven awarded over thirty million dollars in grants and distributions just last year from charitable assets of more than five hundred million dollars. Uh, and uh, they are serving uh, folks and organizations in communities uh, in a 20-town area, Ansonia, Bethany, Bramford, Cheshire, Derby, East Haven, Guilford, Hamden, Madison, Milford, New Haven, North Bramford, and then in North Haven, Orange, Oxford, Seymour, Shelton, Wallingford, West Haven, and Woodbridge. If you would like to learn more about the foundation or how you can get involved, perhaps setting up uh, something to remember you by for many years to come, go to cfgnh.org. Uh, or once again, you're welcome to follow the uh, recipients of the Alexion uh, Greater New Haven Foundation here in New Haven Grants on givegreater.org. A complete listing of all grantees will be listed there at the close of this granting period at the end of February, or you could follow along as those grants are presented on givegreater.org's Facebook page and Twitter feed. Uh, We're going to say farewell to Will Ginsburg, President and CEO of the Community Foundation for Greater New Haven, and hear a little bit more about how the uh, Here in New Haven grant is being applied at Columbus House. Will, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for your time. Thanks, John. All right, John Brooks is with us on the line now. He's Director of Development at Columbus House. Uh, John, thanks for uh, checking in on the program. We appreciate your uh, taking a few minutes today. Thanks for having me, John. So first, for the folks that may not be familiar, give them the quick lowdown on what Columbus House is all about and the great work you guys do over there. Well, Columbus House is, uh, we're, we're more than a shelter. We started out 33 years ago as just a shelter uh, providing the basic provisions, and uh, we've grown into uh, a homeless services agency that provides uh, not only shelter, uh, but our main goal now is to get people housed. So we have, um, we have uh, every program is designed to get people out of the shelters quickly and into housing. So we have um, employment service programs. We have programs specifically for uh, women with mental health issues. We have programs specifically for veterans. And uh, we have programs for families with children. Fantastic. So uh, as we sort of alluded to with Will, uh, Alexion in 
conjunction with the uh, Community Foundation for Greater New Haven uh, has come up with this uh, Here in New Haven Charitable Giving Initiative uh, that's going to award 30 grants uh, over 30 business days leading up to Alexion's occupancy in their new New Haven headquarters. Uh, very exciting stuff uh, there on on both fronts. Absolutely. But we, ta- we talked a little bit about you know, when you talk about a thousand dollars to any kind of a, a foundation, um, it seems like a drop in the bucket when you think of all the need and all the good that needs to be done. But could you give us a little bit of an idea of how that thousand dollars might translate into end user services, or, or in fact, how many people might actually end up? Uh, in some way, shape, or form, uh, benefiting from that seemingly nominal uh, uh, grant? All right. Well, that's a great question, and let me give you a little background. So Columbus House, you know, we're a a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and um, my staff is in charge of raising funds through uh, individuals and corporations, foundations, events, mail, and so on. And we get... The bulk of our support is um, government grants and contracts. However, we have to apply for those every year, and we're never guaranteed uh, to receive those grants. And as you know, with the volatility of, of the uh, state budget, uh, we never know if we're going to get these uh, grants or not. And so my department is charged with raising money that um, these grants and contracts, by their very nature, require us to um, you know, match or put up a part of the total um, budgeted amount. So let's say we get a, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollar grant um, from a state or federal entity. Um, we, may, we may be required to raise 20000 or 30000 of of that total through private means. And so, um, you know, every dollar that we raise accounts. So $1,000 is a significant amount of money. You know, our bread and butter is uh, individuals who send in twenty-five, fifty, a hundred dollars, mm. um, and, and so my my office alone raises about a million dollars a year uh, just to fill those gaps. And and also, John, it allows us to seek out new um, opportunities that perhaps we don't have state uh, funding for, and uh, you know, seek out a new property or a new program. A few years ago. We were um, able to take over the um, Middlesex Family Shelter and Services from uh, the Red Cross, who was leaving that area, and um, and so that uh, program was left without a, an agency to run it. And so, uh, you know, those things cost money, and we're able to use money for those types of things to explore new programs and mm. new opportunities. Well, that's fantastic. So... Um uh, before we let you go, um, uh, and on a on a wider perspective, uh, this is really just um, a representation of the type of support that you Columbus House and so many other organizations in the region have uh, have been able to benefit from thanks to the foundation. Absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, last year we served twenty six hundred and ten uh, people, fifty six families, and one hundred and thirty eight children. So. You know, when when you ask where does the thousand dollars go, it, it helps us to uh, provide program support to help all those people, um, you know, get out of the shelter system and into housing. Um, we were able to house 
639 people last year. And so it's, it's more than just sheltering people. It's, uh, it's getting people housed. And, and so every dollar that we raise uh, goes towards our goal of, of getting people quickly out of the shelter system and, and into housing. Fantastic. How can people learn more about what Columbus House is doing? Uh, we, have a, we have a great website. It's uh, very informative. It's uh, www.columbushouse, all one word, dot org. And uh, there's updated information all the time. There's wish list items on there all the time. And uh, on March 13th, we're doing our um, annual Chocolate to the Rescue fundraiser up in Middletown to benefit our family shelter. And so, um, you know, come out and join us for that and uh, visit the webpage for other ways that you can help. Excellent. John Brooks, Director of Development at Columbus House, the first of 30 Alexion Pharmaceutical Community Foundation for Greater New Haven Partnership here in New Haven Charitable Grants. Uh, closing the show today, we thank you, uh, John, uh, as well as Will Ginsburg, for being part of the program this morning. You've been listening to our award-winning public affairs program for the people. The opinions expressed on this broadcast represent those of our guests and hosts and don't necessarily represent the views of Connoisseur Media. If you have a suggestion for a guest, an issue, or a community calendar item relevant to the audience and communities we serve, you must make your request for consideration in writing via email to me at john.vocat, V as in Victor, O-K-E-T, at connoisseurct. We do not accept pitches or requests for coverage by phone. Remember, no part of this program may be copied, disseminated, or rebroadcast. Our public file reflecting the full scope of our station's responsiveness to critical issues in the communities we serve can be viewed upon request weekdays during normal business hours at 440 Wheeler's Farms Road in Milford. Our theme music is by Rick Miller and Scott, with original music by Noel Vayette. This is John Voquette, Director of Public Affairs for Connoisseur Media. Join us again at this time next week for another installment of the award-winning For the People, or listen to this and other For the People podcasts under the podcast tab on our station's website or on iTunes. Until this time next week, thanks for listening.